Welcome to another edition of Speaking Out America. I'm your host, JR. You've got to check out the website. It gets better and better every day. The articles are being posted. The links are great. You can listen to the show live, plus you can hear all kinds of interesting things that I dig up and put on the live channel feed from time to time. Sometimes some good background music so you can read the articles and have some nice music in the background while you're reading. Sometimes I'll grow grab an old movie. Have you ever listened to a movie? It's actually quite nice. If you know a movie well and it's your favorite movie or one of your favorite movies and you listen to it, it, it almost takes on like a book. It's like a book on tape, but instead it's a movie on tape. Maybe that'll be the next trend. Old movies from the 60s and 70s on tape. So um, everybody is is brought is ensconced in the financial woes of the Silicon Valley Bank. Let me turn this off here. And for good reason, because never have I seen on display um, more people who seem to disagree about just about everything. Uh, here is Vivek Ramaswamy. He is running, actually, for president for the Democratic Party. And he knows all about Silicon Valley and all about tech and how all that stuff works. And he was on with Maria Bartiromo either Sunday or Monday. And here's his assessment of the Silicon Valley Bank debacle. If we have that here. Do we have that here? I have to try it again. We'll give it a shot. Maybe we can insert it in the next. Here we go. I think this is crony capitalism all the way down because here's what happened. SVB did take excessive risk due to mismanagement. And you know who else took excessive risk were a bunch of tech companies in Silicon Valley that put way more money in SVB than they should have. The way capitalism works is that people are held accountable for their own decisions. But instead, you know what happened? The government stepped in to save them. And here's the dirty little secret. Silicon Valley Bank and their cronies for years argued that banks like SVB were subject to looser requirements for capital, looser risk requirements, precisely because they said we're never going to be systemically important. So the government will never have to save us. So we get to take more risk. Well, guess what? In their hour of need, they call on the government for help anyway. Well, and so I think what he's saying is that they weren't really producing anything of value. And that's where we get into trouble. Same thing happened to Twitter when Elon Musk went in and started capping everybody. He looked around and said, well, what does that person do? What are they producing? I imagine it's the same environment at Google. There are a lot of people there that just by virtue of them being a college graduate and having a friend who worked at Google, they probably got some position where all they do is spot check things or who knows, check on algorithms, process complaints, monitor the situation. But what are they producing? Much of what is on the internet today is driven by revenue. And you can tell because when you go on a website, you're being bombarded by all kinds of advertisement, pop-up screens and tracking cookies and all that. I mean, have you ever noticed how your email starts to get filled up over time from products and companies and services that you have never signed up for? Well, that's somehow that person or that when you clicked on a website that you thought was fairly innocuous, what it did was it registered your IP or perhaps an email address that is tied to that account. And have you ever tried to unsubscribe? You'll unsubscribe, and then three months later. One time I wrote a, an email to, I get stuff from Home Depot all the time, but I never signed up for an email. 
as far as I know. Anyway, I threaten them with a lawsuit because the algorithms in the text get, get read. That's the interesting thing about that. Anytime you put in a word that is legal or uh, attorney or I'm calling my lawyer or I'll, I'll sue you, that will, go, that will send a red flag. There are people whose job it is, is to look for those red flag words, those terms. So my point is, is that advertising, like everything else, drives everything. And the reason that Google exists is because every time anybody uses Google, your information is being resold to the market in the form of an email list or a contact list. And that's just the way it goes. And so that's valuable. That's currency. I often joked that one time I went to a pet's, you know, every time you go to a, anywhere these days, oh, can we get your email? And I said, I have to charge you $10,000. Sorry. Because that's how much it's going to make for whoever sells this on the, on the I don't want to call it the black market because it's a legitimate practice selling email lists. It's what people do to them. You know, if you unsubscribe and you continue, I've been trying to get off the Naples News subscribe list for a year, and I still get morning updates, even though I can't click through because I don't have an account, I don't pay for it. So I'm stuck just getting the solicitation email, the clickbait. But to them, I'm a subscriber somehow. And that's how they make their money. So they, you know, they turn around and sell the number of hits to potential advertisers that are selling product, whether it's food or movies or entertainment or whatever it is that they're selling. And that's how this whole pyramid scheme is is sorted. Everybody's paying each other. But really, the only things that are being consumed every day are food, electricity, energy. I tell my, there's the the three great needs of the modern age, food, uh, entertainment, and security. And, and sex. Well, you can add those four things. Everything revolves around those four wants or desires that human beings have. And that's, that's why the American system is so great, because every day people are going to eat food. And so that creates a need that is never going to go away. Every day people need to live places. They'll need an apartment. They'll need a home. So those basic needs will never diminish and in fact, they're increasing. The only, the only change in the sea of all of this is that people migrate. They move from one state to another or conditions change in an inner city. So there's white flight, what they used to call white flight. People move out to the suburbs and things move larger. Like if you look at Los Angeles today compared to 30 years ago, there was no Moreno Valley. There was no Tehachapi Pass. There was no, beyond, uh, beyond Six Flags, it was desert. Now they've got Lancaster, Palmdale, at some point, there will be no break between Las Vegas and Los Angeles and San Diego, just like there will be no break between uh, Tampa and Miami. It's well because of the Everglades. That might be a different story. My point is, is that there's always going to be people. And as long as there's people, there's something being generated. There's commerce taking place. But when you step inside of Valley Silicon Bank, everybody in there is producing nothing. They're producing nothing except exchanging money and charging pe people for the pleasure or taking a $10,000 deposit and then turning around and loaning it to 100 different people with 90% of it made up in credit. And so the ball bounces, and that's where we're at. 
And that's why you're going to see more balls falling to the ground because a lot of these big tech companies are not producing anything. In, in the real world, they're just producing papers and numbers, and it's like that song Chris Rea, Road to Hell. It's just papers flying all over the place. Real assets, that's why the people run on the bank. I, I don't need to tell you this. They taught you this in school. You know, the actual currency is about, I don't know, what, 20%? The rest of it is all fiat credit, just credit. And I'm not an expert by, by any stretch of the imagination. I am not an expert at this. I am a simple drive-by observer, just like you are. But this, the sense that I'm getting is that the feds have screwed this all up. They made money cheap for way too long, and now all of a sudden money is expensive. So things that you bought with zero interest, you know, they're expecting... When we come back, I'm going to read to you a report that just shows you how bad things have gotten in two years. It's beyond bad. You can stick your head in the sand and you can pretend that it's not really happening. But the article that I read today and how bad it's been just in the last two years is pretty phenomenal. The Consumer Price Index came out earlier today. Uh, it's just that it, it's not a good time to be an American. It, it hurts me. It gives me great pain to say that it's not a good time to be a, an American because we're having to fight our own system. Victor David Hansen wrote a great piece. We'll get to just how bad things are. I think he has a lot of the talking points that I want to share with you, but we'll get to that. And then also a little bit later on, I want to talk about the ABC report yesterday about Biden's energy plan. That was an important thing that he did, and we talked about it. He authorized the permits and drilling in some areas, but then restricted others. So it's a confused energy policy, but it also is the way that it's being presented to the American people via our mainstream media. They're making it look like drilling for oil is bad. It's bad. And we'll have the audio to show you on that. But for right now, it's Speaking Out America. Uh, my name is JR. And, of course, our website is speakingoutamerica.com. And we have all kinds of in interesting articles there. And, of course, we delve into the, the, the core issues of this show are always going to be fighting the lies, fighting the lies of climate change, uh, fighting the lies of gender dysphoria and what we're doing to our children and the whole trans cult ideology. That's, that's a big part of what we talk about here. And see, we also talk about race issues because everything is being twisted and people are being turned against each other for reasons that I'm always not conclusively clear, but I think it has to do with divide and conquer. They can make people hate each other. They can separate them, turn them against one another. And we've seen that done through history and we're seeing it being done today. And we'll continue with Speaking Out, America. program is called Speaking Out America. Your host, JR, speakingoutamerica.com. Also, email us at the show at the following email address, speakingoutamerica at gmail. 
Hope.com. And it's good to have you here. Thank you again. It's Tuesday. Another wacky day uh, out there in the world. Boy, sometimes I just I, I just feel like it's all too much. What are we going to do here? Uh, Victor David Hansen always writes great articles. And you know how you can tell because they get picked up by a bunch of different websites. And this one from Z- uh, Zero Hedge. Joe Biden's political u- utility and near senility serves as uh, exemptions for his often sex- sexist, racist, and creepy riffs. And it's true. Uh, but that's not what the article's about. Really, the article is really about his failures. Let me just roll through some here. It says, uh, in Biden's world, he brags he has reduced inflation. Not unlike Xi, two, three years ago when he declared that they had eliminated poverty in China. Kind of the same thing. I think they follow a lot of the same strategy, those two. David Hansen writes, when he entered office in January 2021, the annualized inflation rate was 1.7%. Two years later, in January 2023, inflation went up to 6.4% after hitting a high in June of 22 at 9.1%. That's 6.4 percentage points higher than when he took office. In mid-March, of course, that's where we're at today, we'll learn uh, about the annualized rates, but it's expected to climb back to more than 8% from the time Trump was in office to Biden at 7.7 percentage points. And if anyone was comparing the current price of eggs, rent, diesel fuel, or a natural gas heating bill or building materials to their respective costs when Biden entered office, then he would know that Biden's inflation is cumulative and has nearly destroyed the affordability of shelter, food, the stuff of life. Biden talks about his unemployment rate, 3.4%, but it's almost identical to what the Trump administration achieved without Biden's high interest rates in the months before the massive COVID lockdown. So what he's saying is that Biden's claiming victory with a 3.4% unemployment rate, which is about where it was during the COVID lockdowns. Uh, And before that, Trump had achieved it without the lockdowns. And the fact is there are more people who are not working than there were in the Trump administration. More people could find jobs. Now people aren't even looking. Moreover, current low employment is largely a reflection of reduced labor participation due to early retirements, exits during the pandemic, fear of COVID, long COVID, the Zoom culture, and most importantly, the Biden continuance of massive COVID era subsidies that discourage employment. The labor participation rate has hit near historic lows under Biden, lower than the pre-COVID rate under Trump. Hansen writes, it was not until last month that the Biden economy finally achieved the level of total employed Americans who had been working in January 2020 on the eve of the COVID lockdowns. Sounds like good news, but it's actually the opposite. And as far as interest rates, 30-year fixed mortgages, they were 2.9% the day that Biden took office. Now they're over 7%. We also heard that it, it just goes on and on and on. Apparently, the Justice Department and the FBI shut down at sunset 
and reawaken a dawn. That could be the only explanation why Attorney General Merrick Garland, who was shredded during testimony to the Senate, he argued that the vastly disproportionate FBI response to violence against abortion centers versus attacks on pro-life centers was only due to the difference that abortion centers are attacked during the day, making it easy to arrest people in contrast to uh, pro-life shelters, which are typically attacked during the evening. Garland's excuse? Eh, it's easier to catch the criminals in the daytime. And then, of course, we've got Buttigieg. Uh, It's just, there's a man who is the wrong man to be in charge. He says, Buttigieg says he might be remembered for his posterity for his fight against climate change, but he doesn't point to any actual concrete concrete results in reducing carbon emissions to a, a singular policy. He repeatedly emphasizes his identity politics, using his gay stature both to note his supposedly path-breaking courage and to claim victimhood when he is attacked. He sees transportation through the lens of race and so chases the unicorn of white privilege, whether concerning past freeway routes or the makeup of current construction crews, falsely charging that white men are overrepresented on construction crews. Uh, Under his tenure as transportation secretary, the country experienced dangerous supply interruptions, ossified ports, and uh, harbor-bound trains robbed in Wild West fashion. Can you believe that? Back to the old days. Then we have Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, 100,000 Americans have died from fentanyl being shipped through the border. Seven million, they're thinking, that have passed through since Biden has been in office. And if that's on top of the other 22 million, you're looking at 30 million people who have entered into this country illegally. That's just the estimates. That's what we know. That's what we think we know. And that is all under under the uh, administration of this Joe Biden. And then people wake up in the morning and they say, oh, you know, it's not looking so good. You know, I don't know. And uh, and then, of course, they, they see Trump and DeSantis out there. Everybody's talking about Trump. He's out in Iowa. He's uh, bringing in those crowds. You see it on the social media, the long lines. Joe Biden shows up somewhere. Might be 20 people. It's not a good time for Mr. Biden right now. He walked out of a press conference. I couldn't believe it. I was watching it yesterday, and I said, what the hell? He is the president of the United States. There was nobody there to open the door for him. He just turned around and walked out because he didn't like the questions. Somebody yelled something about China or something. And he just said, nah, I'm not taking the question. He didn't say goodbye. He didn't, you know, try to obfuscate and redirect or tell us an old grandpa story like he usually does. No, 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 no. This time, no, he wanted to just turn around and give a big F you, big middle finger to the American people. Come on, man. I'm just doing my job. What are you on, crack? Uh, and then, of course, the big joke of the day was when former Speaker, uh, Press Secretary Jin Saki said <laughs> he never does anything before 9 a.m. Well, that explains a lot. Oh, and then she tries to qualify it and walk it back by saying, that's because he stays up so late. Does anybody believe that? Maybe it's true. I don't know what he'd be doing. If I was the President of the United States, I wouldn't be staying up late and getting up late. 
that's not my job. I, I have a job to do. You know, I have to serve the American people. If there's anybody on the planet that should get, be getting up before, I don't know, 9 a.m., it should be the president of the United States. But that is the hand that we were dealt. All right, so we're going to tackle the mainstream media and this climate nonsense when we come back. So if you're tired of being lied to, maybe I can help you. Stay tuned. Speaking out, America. JR. Back in the 80s, I was a big environmentalist, and I was probably right up there with saving the whales. And I could see that we were, you know, we were destroying the, the planet in terms of trash. And I used to get mad at the, you go buy a CD or a cassette, and it would come in this big plastic bag. Remember that? Remember how that was? You're like, oh, man, I got to throw this whole thing away. You know, so, uh, and I was right up there. I went to some of the Earth Day celebrations, but then something happened around 2001, when Al Gore and Tipper took over, Al Gore being the, I think it was the vice president, Tipper was somehow involved. You remember, of course, when we used to have to slap those parental advisory labels on albums. And that was part of the Al Gore campaign. You know, looking back at that, that's kind of interesting. There's Al Gore, a Democrat, calling for censorship, putting labels. And, of course, that had the opposite effect. People would just go buy the damn albums that said, Caution, you know, warning, explicit language. Uh, and there were a lot of acts back then that would occasionally cuss, but it was ma- mainly over words. Remember that song, Sex, I'm a, by a Berlin. That's a good example. Some of the early Madonna stuff, too, would have parental label stickers slapped. Anyway, it was around that time, around the turn of the century, I suppose, uh, probably leading up to the end of the Mayan calendar, 2012, and people were superstitiously worried about what could happen to the environment. You know, remember the ozone scare back in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid. We were told not to use spray-on deodorant because it blasted a hole in the ozone, and there was all this dangerous sunlight coming in, and we would all get skin cancer. And then the ozone miraculously healed, and uh, everybody went on their merry way. But there was always this concern about the weather. And then Al Gore, and I won't go into all the gory details, but there's a reason that we are where we are today. And the the mass psychosis formation over climate change, the slow inculcation, it's very fascinating from a sociological point of view to watch an entire generation become convinced, absolutely convinced, that we little human beings, we minuscule little cell-like creatures could amass so much carbon, uh, so much of a naturally occurring thing that we would worry that the seas would rise and the mountains would fall and cities would be destroyed by floods and rain and all this stuff. 
And then you think about you're looking out your window in San Jose, California, listening to me, and you're thinking I'm nuts, right? You think I'm nuts. Oh, but doesn't he know that we're getting hit by all this rain? So I'm not going to try to unconvince you about uh, carbon and the, the science behind climate change. I can't because you've already, you know, you've already taken the drink, the Kool-Aid. You've already convinced yourself that, you know, just by the mere fact that so many people believe it, how could it possibly be wrong? How could I possibly be right about climate change? But when you think about how it got here, and this is why this story is important, and so the story arch is such. Al Gore learned early that there was a lot of profit to be made by the climate crisis. And in the early writings when the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change, they would write their reports and they would go out into the world. They would go to all these places, the deserts of Nigeria or Sudan, or they would go to the North Pole or Greenland and certainly the coral reefs. And they would gather up all of this data showing how much carbon there was in the air and how much carbon there was. And I read the IPCC. It's about 90 pages. And much of it is just the data. It's just looking at carbon and uh, the assumption, the a priori assumption is that carbon equals warming, that carbon is a greenhouse gas along with methane and other gases, and it's the main kinetic holder of heat. It, it traps the Earth's heat. It's simple science to explain, and this is why I think so many young people have bought into it. It's simple science. Okay, carbon. So you assume the truth, the scientific fact that carbon traps heat. Therefore, the more carbon there is, then the more heat there will be. And then you from extrapolate from there that the heat would melt the solar caps. And then from that point, you would have flooding. And then the flooding would cause hurricanes and there'd be more heat and cold dispersion. Then it starts to get complicated. The farther away you move from the center core idea of carbon trapping heat, the farther away, the less the argument starts to hold up over time. So, for example, well, how do you explain La Nina and El Nino? Those are big drivers of moisture. How do you explain moisture? What is, what is the role that cloud cover has or trade winds or the upper level atmospheric winds or the jet stream? What do all these factors have? What is the fact that the Earth is 75% water? What bearing does that have on the carbon argument. Now, I'll simplify it even further. The idea is that fossil fuels, which is a natural carbon contained form of energy, it's carbon condensed over time, just like a rock can be crushed and pushed and, and, and made into a diamond. Same thing with fossil fuels, because the earth has been inundated with flooding and not flooding for billions of years. The, the earth is holding on to carbon in the form of oil and shale and gas. Those are carbon-based energy forms. And it happens to be what we're made out of, carbon. Carbon is a naturally pro produced or organic molecule, I guess you could call it. And it's in abundance and it comes out of volcanoes and it comes out of the back of your car. But it's what we need to, to live. Plants need carbon to live. 
We need carbon for energy to move our vehicles, to fly our airplanes, to cook our food, to barbecue our steaks in the form of coal. It's cheap and it's hugely abundant. It's mother's gift, mother nature's gift to mankind. Except for that little argument about how carbon molecules make the the earth go hot with runaway climate change. That's the assumption. Now, to break things down even more, the attempt of the climate change crisis is to drive back the amount of carbon there is in the atmosphere. And what they're trying to do is get us from the point where we are now, which is about 400 molecules per billion of, of carbon, and roll that back to 250 parts per billion pre-1970 industrial age levels. And I think they even want to go farther back, if they could. So they want to reduce the number of molecules of carbon that is makes up the atmosphere, which is 0.04% and drive it down to 0.2500%. And their thinking is, is if they can reduce the amount of carbon molecules in the atmosphere, then that will prevent the earth from getting hotter. They want to prevent it from getting more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. Now, what I've told you is what every scientist knows. Now, based on what I've told you, based on the assumption of carbon being the main driver of heat, kinetic heat in our atmosphere, this is why they want to redo all of our policies. This is why they don't want us drilling for oil. This is why they want us to convert over to electric vehicles. Everything is based on that truth of carbon. How much carbon is in our atmosphere and how much does it impact the Earth's weather? And Al Gore institutionalized this entire project with his Department of Education and he implemented this instruction to the children over the course of a generation. And so now every child that has gone through public school has uh, been taught or inculcated into believing all of this. And we'll talk about it in just a second. Hang on, got more to come. In a moment, the propaganda begins. People say, you know, why do you got to hammer the whole climate thing, man? You know, we all know. We all know. No, it's important for you to have an argument. It's important for you to know the facts and not because over time what happens is that the facts suddenly disappear and everybody starts talking the same language. And what I mean by that is every time you hear on, by the way, welcome to Speaking Out America, JR, your host. And we were talking about climate and how we got to where we are today where all of the policy that is is being directed towards trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. That's that's why it matters. Everything is driven around the. It's not unlike the COVID, the amount of of uh, social adjustment of the world to COVID, based on something that only afflicted less than one tenth of one percent was how humans do things. 
we overreact and we create more problems than the ones we're trying to solve. And this is what's happening with climate change and it's destroying our economy. The way that we're dealing with climate policy is destroying our economy. It's, remember I told you in the very beginning, there are three great needs of, of all people, food, shelter, security. There's a fourth, energy. Energy drives everything. And when Biden got into office and he was eagerly trying to appease the left, the people who are, again, have been raised 20, 30 years. AOC went through the school system that taught her that fossil fuels, a form of energy, causes the earth to be destroyed. That's why they call it dirty energy. You know, every time you hear a weather forecast where they say, well, we've broken another record. What they're doing is they're furthering the argument of climate change. That the reason the, again, a priori assumption is that the earth is warming or the erratic weather is caused by us. We are causing this problem. That's what they're trying to get us to think. So everything reinforces that. Now, for the first time, I was watching ABC News, Biden stirred up a hornet's nest because he's decided to allow for drilling in a particular part of, of, of Alaska. Just listen to the report and you will hear, uh, it's supposed to be objective, but you can hear that the, the propaganda of the climate crisis seeps into the report in the way that they report it. It's about a minute and a half and we'll break it down. Here is from ABC last night. In, in response to Biden's decision to drill for oil in Alaska. Now to President Biden's move to approve a drilling project in Alaska, drawing criticism tonight, approving a controversial plan to allow a new $8 billion oil drilling project. Here's Matt Guppin tonight. Tonight, the Biden administration under fire after approving a controversial oil drilling project in Alaska. The Willow See, even in the presentation, it's contentious, it's controversial, it's meeting opposition. The opposition coming from people who see this, this idea of accessing more energy somehow evil or destructive or hurtful or damaging or dangerous. So the presentation, they've already mentioned, even before we've gotten to the part where they tell you what's going on, they're already telling you that it's met with it's it's people are upset. There's something to be upset about here. Project will include three drill sites with nearly 200 wells in Alaska's National Petroleum Reserve. The 23 million acre reserve was the largest undisturbed plot of public land in the United States. Two other drill sites were proposed for the $8 billion project, but were denied. Project developer Conico Phillips stating that Willow is expected to generate billions of dollars for federal, state, and local governments. At its peak, it's estimated it'll produce 180,000 barrels of oil per day. They say decreasing American dependence on foreign energy and will add over 2,500 jobs during construction. And they seem to make that as if it's all bad news. Oh, they say it will do this, and they say that it might produce 180,000 barrels of oil a day, but they say the implication is the emphasis is on that it's not real or it's not good or it's not somehow valuable to suddenly have this much so that we're not dependent and we see what happens when we're dependent on other countries for our oil. That's when the war starts. That's where we let Saudi Arabia continue to be a despot nation as it is because they've got all the power. They made $220 billion in oil last year because we shut down our spigot. So here we go and we find, and by the way, the area of Alaska nobody will ever live in because it's unlivable. It's too cold. 
were too hot. There's a reason that the migration continued. When the uh, the Asians came across the Bering Straits, oh, a couple of thousand, 10,000 years ago, 20, whatever it was, you know, they didn't stay in Alaska. There's a reason for that. It's too cold, too, too much ice. And there's a lot of oil up there, by the way, a lot of oil, a lot of good, crude, sweet people's lives up in Alaska. I've talked to people in Alaska. Uh, covid Almost decimated them. The attack on oil, shutting down our pipelines, restricting permits. It's all had a horrible economic impact on the people who live in Alaska. Not to mention they don't get their dividend checks like they used to. But here's more of this story. And and, and I I want you to pay attention to a specific point. For the first time I'm hearing this, and and I'll break it down. Here's this report. 300 long-term jobs. Environmentalists accusing President Biden of reneging on his campaign promise. No more drilling on federal lands, period, 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 period. Over the next three decades, the project could produce nearly 240 million metric tons of net carbon dioxide. Could, could, could. Here we go. Instead of translating it into good as to how cheap the oil will be, how it could lower prices, how it could help President Biden get reelected, all the benefits that come from having cheap oil so that we don't have to kill so many whales off the coast of South Carolina or Rhode Island because of those damn solar or wind turbines, uh, all of that lithium that we have to, to, to dig out of the Congo thanks to the hands of a five-year-old child who's looking to make enough money to feed himself because, well, we got to have lithium batteries or cobalt You know, we won't tell you about all that. All we're going to tell you about is how much carbon we think is going into the air. 240 million metric tons of net carbon dioxide. That's equivalent to more than 51 million gasoline-powered cars driven for a year. The oil. So, again, equating it back down to that central core argument, which is carbon creates global warming. That's the whole argument. So 2 plus 2 equals 5. Because we don't know if carbon really does have that much of an effect. That's that's the kicker. We don't know. All of it is based on a hockey a hockey stick presumption from the 60s that showed that two things were happening simultaneously. The industrial age and a slight warming of the average global temperature. So they assume that both are related and correlated. Their entire hypothesis is built around this fact, but it hasn't been a fact. If it had been, they wouldn't have to keep fudging the numbers. We had a cooling trend from 2001 until 2017. It's not explainable. We have El Nino or La Nina and El Nino. Those are the main drivers of precipitation in, in the United States and elsewhere. But they never talk about that. They only talk about carbon and how bad it is, how evil it is, and how we have to destroy life or we have to destroy humanity or civilization or a combination of of those three in order to appease our own fear because Al Gore and his team made sure that we all got the same information, that carbon is bad, carbon is bad. This won't come online for six to 10 years. So... That time period is one in which we need to be phasing down our use of fossil fuels, not increasing them. 
again. David, the Biden administration says this is a compromise agreement. On the one hand, it limits future drilling. On the other, they say if they had rejected this deal, it likely would have just been overturned in court anyway. David. All right, Matt Guppin tonight. Thank yeah, you. So that was the propaganda from ABC News, number one viewed news every every night. So it's like, I imagine this army of people that just have straws sticking in their head, sucking up whatever ABC News tells us. And you say, well, Jim, you know, how, how do you know you're right? Uh, how do I know I'm right? How do I know I'm right? I read, I study, I talk to people, I read more. I think I've read probably six or seven. Yeah, but all the books that you read are all against climate change. Well, they're from scientists who actually know what they're talking about. I think we had Guy Mitchell on our program before, and he dispelled the whole thing. Water is the main driver of our weather, not carbon. Carbon only makes up a, a small portion, an infinitesimal portion of the overall climate, and it's naturally produced in abundance. There have been times in Earth's history where the carbon level has been 1,500 per, per billion parts, molecule parts. And there was global warming. Back down, this is the 1300s when the, the northern extremities were having a heat wave. It was at the end of the Ice Age. Anyway, so there's, there's enough evidence to go either way. Truly, there is. There's enough evidence to go either way on this. But the fact that you're not allowed to have a discussion about it should be indication enough that they don't really truly believe in their science. If they believed in their science, they could go on TV and they could debate it. But they don't even allow for the debate. They don't want to have the debate because people might start thinking, wait a minute. They just had a report last week on Good Morning America, how now we're all going to be sneezing more. And we're going to have allergies because of man-made climate change. Uh, they, they talk about women. Uh, Hillary Clinton was on stage last week talking about how women and children are, are uh, endure and are bigger victims of climate change, man-made climate change. That we're all victims of our own capitalistic success and it needs to change. And we need to make energy so expensive that we're all driven into poverty just so we can save the planet. Does that sound like logic to you? Um, and they won't have a debate about it. And people like me, we're not allowed to give dissent. But hopefully I've given you enough information to get you think maybe, maybe he's on to something. Until next time, thanks for joining me. JR here, speakingoutamerica.com. See you next time.